Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining the Now of Work podcast. So, so thrilled with all of the comments we get. So, so thrilled with all of the requests for guests that we're having, which is amazing. And as this whole Now of Work continues to come into focus, try to continue to bring guests, information, and content to you that's helpful going forward. Today, so excited for this interview. I have the opportunity to talk to Ann Fulton. Ann's the CEO and co-founder of Fuel50. For those of you not familiar with Fuel50, Fuel50 is a technology platform that truly is focused on the next generation of career development, talent mobility. How do we think about bringing skills, bringing capabilities, bringing competencies, bringing strengths to life in work? What more could one ask for right now in a world that's so agile in a world where strategies constantly change to know our people, know what our pieces are, make those pieces do the best for our business, but at the same time, do the best for those people as well. Those pieces are people and bringing those people to life. That's what Fuel50 does. So, so, so excited for you to listen to this interview with Anne. Uh, She's got a great story. You'll love her accent. And take a look at fuel50.com when you get a chance. Uh, look at what they're doing. Fascinating stuff. And truly one of those now of work vendors as we move forward. Enjoy. Take care, everyone. See ya. Welcome to the Now of Work podcast, everyone. Thank you so much for joining. I am so honored to be joined today by Ann Fulton, Ann's the CEO of Fuel50. Ann, welcome to the Now of Work podcast. Awesome to be here. Thank you so much for joining. So I want to start with you telling us a little about yourself. And before we get into the Fuel50 story, uh, your accent is so much better than mine. Um, I would love for you just to talk a little about where you are in the world, uh, where you live, where you work, you know, a little about your, the personal journey. Sure. Yeah. Anne Fulton, CEO of Fuel50 is also known as Where's Wally, you know, or Where's Waldo, <laughs> depending on where you are. So um, I'm, I'm currently resident in London. Um, I've been a long time resident of in, in your neighborhood um, in Redondo Beach. And um, yeah, I, I originate, as does Fuel 50 out of New Zealand. So yeah, bit of a mixed up accent. <laughs> so you go back and forth between, you used to, Southern California between England and, uh, and New Zealand, it sounds like. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, that, that's my ideal, right, is to divide my, you know, divide my time between all those geographies because um, the U.S. is still our biggest market. And I'd moved over there to kind of um, take the business to, um, to the U.S. You know, four years ago and then now kind of repeating, rinse and repeating into Europe. Um, so based in London, but yeah, l- loved it in California for sure. So... Interestingly, I mean, I always love the, I love founders stories and, you know, you and I shared these conversations back in, in Southern California when we were, when we were, when we met live, you know, you're both the co-founder and CEO of Fuel50. Um, you know, I love these conversations of founder stories because it gets you into this discussion about where people truly are. It gets you into discussion about what drives them, you know, even kind of like, you know, the, the why, not the, not the. The how is fine, but I love the why story. So, like, why did you and Joe Mills found 
Fuel 50. So can you just talk about that? What's your story? What's the passion that Fuel 50, you know, got Fuel 50 going? Yeah, I'd, I'd love to share that because, you know, we are on a mission and, you know, we've got 70 people on that mission now to actually help transform the work experience and create career opportunities for, you know, everyone um, across the globe. So um, my personal story goes so far back because till I was 14 years old and um, took a careers test and, and the um, little test said that I should be a funeral director or a um, career guidance counsellor. I thought that was kind of hilarious, but it did spark my mind. And I became an organisational psychologist and a vocational guidance counsellor, you know, with, with that passion of really um, helping under, uh, people understand their um, career options. And I always dreamed of creating something like Fuel 50 where, you know, we could use... Um, technology and data science and, and, you know, really smart AI to be able to match somebody to the best career opportunity for them. So, you know, when Joe and I started working together, you know, it really was a, a, around a vision for helping people find the best opportunity for them within organisations and, you know, using our career matching science, having spent, you know, a good part of my career building psychometric tests that were there really to help organisations make great talent decisions. But we really wanted to flip the switch on that and help somebody make a great decision around how to utilise their skills and talents to best you know, um, maximum potential within an organization. So, you know, how am I best suited? Where is the best use of my talents? How can I grow my skills? Those are all questions that, you know, we're so passionate about helping organizations answer. And, you know, today's kind of talent marketplaces are really um, aiming to connect people People to the opportunities in an organization so not just jobs but mentors and learning and um, experiences and stretch assignments and all of those things that we need to kind of grow our careers and you know maximize our talent in an organization so that's that's our business passion and I know you know there's 70 people have joined that mission on helping um, organizations create that experience um, for people that really is maximizing talent and potential of every single person across that business that's our passion. One of the things, Anne, that's interesting to me, I think you know that I had the opportunity to work with, you know, Marcus Buckingham for a while. And, mm -hmm. you know, Marcus, um, you know, also had that kind of science and data background that then all of a sudden ended up in the technology space. And, you know, I, I would always kind of joke with him a little bit like, hey, does this uh, organizational psychology, this organizational background, this science background actually help you or hurt you? Um, you know, when it comes to this tech space. And, you know, of course, I'm going off, a little off of our storyline here that I, that I told you I was going to follow. But I would love your thoughts on that because, you know, as the CEO and founder of an organization like Fuel50, you know, your, your background is very deep in the science of what drives people, what motivates people, what, what drives talents and things like that. You know, you're not a software as a service, um, you know, guru per se. So... Like, how much yeah. do you think that that helps you um, as a as a CEO? That that knowing that science component of things. Yeah, no, I mean, I really like to think, you know, of of myself and many others across our businesses as being data scientists. So it's really looking for, you know, what the the data and the evidence tells us around the best fit for that person. So we're, we're bringing in some, you know, um, um, rigor and it, it, into talent decision-making, you know, because of that science base. And I think one of the 
kind of core principles that I brought forward from me, you know, from Psychology 101, <laughs> you know, is, um, you know, what's the evidence? You know, let's take an evidence-based approach to these talent decisions. So do we have... Um, sufficient data to say, you know, what the best match of that person's skills and talents are. So bringing in those principles of um, data science, I think, you know, is a really strong foundation. And then, of course, we've got the marriage, you know, across the business with I'm an amazing development team who believe in creating beautiful user interfaces and experiences. So we're bringing to life, you know, that um, talent matching capability in a beautiful way. So, you know, but but like Uber Maps, you know, here I am today. Here's where I want to be. And you know, Uber or Google, you know, will tell you that what's the fastest route to get there. And 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 so there's data driving that um, process. So so our development team and engineers are creating a beautiful experience where almost literally you can see the cogs turning and saying it's matching my talents and my aspirations and my interests and everything about who I am to um, this organizational roadmap. And and so, you know, that's super fun, that marriage between, you know, our tech team um, and, um, you know, the, the, the organizational psychologists, which we've got about 12. And I think there's two, just one other thing I quickly wanted to say yeah. about that was, was that, um, you know, it means that we're almost talking peer to peer with, um, you know, the CHROs and chief people officers because they care about the, you know, the metrics that they're trying to impact and the success measurement and the ROI of their decisions around technology and, um, as a business, we've got this real commitment to saying, you know, or to measuring um, outcomes and making sure that if we're going to do anything in an organization, it's all very well, you know, creating a better experience for people. But what's the business impact of that? How's it helping that organization be more competitive, you know, to innovate faster, um, to be more agile? So, you know, those things we deeply care about and we, we want some measurement behind it. So, um, yeah, we, we love what our science brings to, to the business. So one of the things that I want to get into, Anne, is that, and I'm going to date myself. So at PeopleSoft, you know, when I was leading product strategy and marketing there, you know, we built a quote unquote, don't laugh at me, career development module. And I, people would always tell me that guys, and, and by the way, we didn't give anyone access to it except HR people. So they'd be like, seriously, like you want us to key all this data in here? Um, after we have these career conversations with people, you know, and we'd have people that would continually ask the question to us, like, or tell us that, hey, your career development module is not working. And mm -hmm. I'd be like, what do you mean it's not working? It's just a place to store data. They're like, yeah, but how do we get data? Uh, yeah. like, well, you know, it involves all of these things. And it kind of gets me to this question of who owns career development in organizations, and and I know it's changed, and in the last twenty years, because um, you know, is it an HR process that we're forcing on managers? Do you believe that managers and leaders own career development? So I'd love to just riff on that a little bit, if you don't mind. Yeah, no, I mean, I I think you're absolutely t you know tapping into something that's it's. Um, you know, very important to us, which is kind of like democratization of this experience. We want to put this information into the hands of employees. And that's what we did in the first place, was upend that information that would have sat in a psychometric test and told you about, you know, the fit for a particular job. We're putting that information directly into the hands of employees. 
and also that ability to kind of see their roadmap. So, you know, one, we, we like to put the ownership for career development right back into the hands of, you know, the one person who should own their own future. Um, and, you know, to be able to help them, you know, navigate efficiently and effectively so that they are building the skills that they need, but also that the organization needs. So transparency to the employee to us is super important and ownership with the employee. We, we still think that the leader or the, you know, manager has a role to play. And we also believe in pushing information to them. You know, why, why not make it absolutely simple at a touch of a button that you can see, you know, the career engages and motivators and values and interests and skill gaps of each of their employees as well as, you know, what, this is what we do, which is why not give them little coaching tips around what the question to ask is that's going to motivate and engage that employee and who might be a retention risk. So pushing that information in the hands of um, line managers, not just HR, is also one of our core goals. But that being said, we really want to power up HR and business partners and, and chief people officers to be able to have the data that they need to take to their stakeholders, you know, around the capability gaps and succession risks and reskilling momentum across the business. So yeah, um, I think information um, is power, right? And, you know, we, we want to, to provide people with great information to make great decisions, no matter what level they're at across the organization. So talk to me for a second about careers. Yes. Um, you know, because uh, I know and that I have, well, excuse me, I know I have kids. That's a brilliant statement, isn't it, Anne? I know I have two boys that are 15 and 12, and I mention them quite yes. a bit. And, yeah. you know, uh, they, the way that they think about careers versus the way that I thought about careers watching my dad who worked for the same company for 47 years and then my grandfather who worked for that same company as my dad for 48 years. So they put in 95 years in the same company and both had careers. Uh, and now how people, I'm not even going to say job hop, that's not the right way to say it, but I guess my question is, is you know, the word career, yeah. how relevant is it today? And is it more or less relevant than in the past? Um, yeah, I'd love to hear what your 15 and 12 year old actually think about that, because I think that they probably still have some degree of um, anxiety around choosing um, an area for them to invest in for their future, right? You know, that first decision is often the hardest one. But I think, um, you know... Hey, Anne. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> Before you continue, I want to tell you really quickly, because every time that we, you know, we have about 150 enterprise clients, and the first thing I always do hmm. is, is ask my kids to apply for a job at... Oh, yeah one of those organizations just so they can tell me what they think of the experience. And yeah. you know, when they first started it, they're like, okay, we went to the site and we don't see anything that says jobs. Yes. And I say, no, right there, it says careers. And they're like, I don't want a career. I just want a job. I love that. And I was yeah. like, whoa. You know, so to yeah. answer your yeah. question, it, that's yeah. the, their initial reaction is I don't want a career. I don't know if I want to work there as a career. I just want yeah. a job. Yeah. And, you know, I, I do agree with them. And I think that we've got to have a kind of lens that, that um, you know, um, relates to that particular audience. And I think, um, yeah, that they're not thinking about career choice, but they are thinking about investing 
in a skill area, you know, and where can I, you know, where's a good match for my skills and talents in this organization? Where can I, you know, what, what have I got that's marketable into that organization? And how might, um, you know, the, how might I find something that will leverage the skills and talents that I want to use and, um, you know, create an opportunity for you, for me. But I, I also agree that I think there's a more transactional um, mentality, um, you know, around trading my skills, you know, for some of the benefits I'm going to get from working for that organization. And, and I think that there is a, you know, broader understanding right now that, um, yeah, that there, there is a transaction happening. It's more of a transactional view. This organization is going to meet some of my needs short term, and I might be working on these three or four projects contributing to this and being passionate about X, you know, whatever it may be in that organization. And, um, but yeah, there's a more of a transactional mentality. And I think, um, I, I think, you know, there is, you know, I'm using an HR term here, but there is more of a gig mentality, you know, coming into jobs, which is, you know, I'm going to be contributing to that, this particular gig, it's a short term assignment. And then, you know, I'd be quite happily, you know, shift somewhere else for the next gig. And I think that that kind of, um, mentality is likely, you know, to be more, uh, common, um, you know, going going forward, whereas, you know, committing to or investing in a career, you know, e.g., you know, joining one of the big big four firms, um, you know, and, and being on a roadmap, you know, or, a, you know, kind of like a, a train track in terms of the future, I think that that is a thing of the past. Um, we even think we're predicting that job titles, you know, won't exist, but it'll all be about the project that you're contributing to. I think the thing, and sorry to interrupt, I think the thing that's so important about this is that, you know, the question of who owns career development, I, I think career development, I don't think there's, I think it has to be a team sport. Yeah. I, you know, and I think there has to be a playbook. I mean, I think there's a coach, but I also, I also think it has to be a team sport, uh, which is a both offensive, offense and defensive approach, A, and B, it's between, you know, managers, leaders, HR, other parts of the business, and the individual themselves. I mean, I think we really, I mean, that's just my personal opinion. I'd love your view on it. But I say, when someone says, who owns it? You know, let's pick a coach. Totally cool. But guys, this is a team sport. Yeah, absolutely. But the individual player on that field, you know, um, you know, somebody's got to place that person, you know, on the field and, you know, where are they best utilized? Um, but I think that, you know, we, we want the um, individual players to be at the optimum. So we want them to be fit and fast and agile and skilled, you know, so that they're really, really valuable utility players. And I think, you know, utility players are becoming, you know, increasingly valuable in organizations um, as, you know, as increasingly we're contributing in multiple ways, you know, to various projects. And I love it when some of our clients are now defining, instead of a job title, that they're defining, um, you know, their contributions by the projects that they're involved with. So I'm I'm contributing to this project and that project, and, and that's how I define myself as opposed to a job title. So I think it's yeah. a shifting, yeah. shifting space. And, you know, I, I, I'm not wedded at all to the term careers. You know, I, th I, think, um, I think, you know, um, um, reskilling and growth, you know, so that, so that I am growing and um, increasing my marketability and my value to the organization, those things are super important. 
um, you know, whether that means there's a career trajectory, you know, is um, not necessarily, you know, uh, well, careers are not linear anymore, you know, they're not right. necessarily vertical, right. you know, they really are about um, that agility of, you know, playing in place, right, you know, and pivoting and, um, you know, finding where the stretch is for you. So, yeah, d- different, different mindset. So, speaking of mindset, what happens in your brain? That's... That's not my only question. Let me, let me, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm I don't want to know what happens in your brain, <laughs> but maybe I do. Uh, but you know, so what happens in your brain when you see this company's laying off 35,000 people, you see this company's laying off 25,000 people, you see this company's laying off 40,000 people, you see this company's laying off 2000 people as a result of the economy tied to COVID-19. Um, the first thing that comes to my brain is most of these people, I mean, first of all, I feel very sorry and empathetic to the people who are losing their jobs. But second of all, I don't truly believe that the organizations doing the layoffs have any idea of the talent that they're letting go of and the talent that they're keeping and truly are they making the right decisions? Uh, So I guess my question is, is based on all of this talent churn that's going on, not because the employees are necessarily choosing to leave right now, but because of the economy and because of the pandemics going on in the world, you know, has your value proposition changed where, oh my gosh, I can't even think about career at the moment. I just want to make sure that I can survive for the next three months and keep my family fed, or I just want to make sure that I can survive as a CEO for the next three months and have the talent to serve my customers. So would love to hear your thoughts on that because I'm afraid that some people think of career development as a nice to have. And I think it's really important that we frame it as a must have, especially in a time like this, but would love your thoughts. Yeah. Um, You know, I I think my, you know, I'm just going to go back to your opening question, which is, you know, that, that, of course, I, you know, like you, I feel deeply sad and empathetic, you know, for, for those people that are impacted and particularly, um, you know, when it's at scale, at the scale that you're describing. But I think um, there's a new power play, um, in, you know, that, that exists today that wasn't necessarily there, you know, three or four months ago. So we've got a new talent dynamic as we've got different um, labor market, you know, supply dynamics happening. And, you know, um, only only 120 days ago, you know, unemployment was um, 3.5%. And here we are, you know, 120 days later, and it's 13%, you know. And I think that there's a collective responsibility, a social responsibility that we in organizations have today to our people. Um, and I'm kind of hopeful that, that um, many of the organizations that are making these tough decisions are also caring, you know, about the, the community of those people that they are having to let go, that they're providing them with, still with tools and, and reskilling opportunities. Um, because I think that that labor market or that talent supply, you know, I, I might need to turn it on again in three months time, right, when things pick back up. So um, I think that we, you know, we need a new talent dynamic where we're um, treating all of those in our talent community, 
you know, with dignity and respect and enablement and, and, and maybe even in the hope, this is me because I'm an eternal optimist, you know, I, in the hope that some of those people are also given opportunities to, to reskill, you know, during, during the furloughed time or during the downtime, because if I need them again in three months time, do I want them to be, you know, stronger, fitter, faster and, and more able and more skilled? Yes, I do. So if I can provide them with some, you know, learning tools or encourage them, you know, to grow their skills and capabilities, you know, during this downtime, it becomes a win-win. So some of our, you know, clients in our community are thinking along those lines, which is a true kind of broader talent partnership with their ecosystem um, and making some of those decisions in a really humane way. Um, one of the things that we've seen is that during the pandemic, we've been kind of tracking what are the surging or trending skills and capabilities that are in hot demand today. And, you know, not surprisingly, it's cultural competence. You know, we're, we're living in this massive era of change of epidemic proportions. I might as well just, you know, throw that in. And we've got this massive you know, reform movement that's transforming the way that we're thinking and living and working. So we think that, you know, our um, organisations can't uh, be anything less than above reproach when it comes to their talent decisions. You know, if you are letting, you know, certain demographics of your talent population go, you've got to do that in the best possible way. You've got to do that humanely and with respect and also with decisions that are defensible. So, this new talent dynamic, I think, is, is raising the bar around the way that we think around our responsibilities for talent. And I can't bear the thought, I'm a bit of a hobby horse for me, but I can't bear the thought of, you know, millions of people um, disenfranchised, um, you know, at a loose end while they're searching for work. And, you know, I, I think that we all need to take some responsibility to make sure that they are supported and engaged and um, given opportunities to continue to grow their skills, even if they are at home, because you know we don't we don't want that despair to set in. You know we can, we can't afford the social cost of that. So right. that's our that's part of our secondary mission is to you know help organisations and and you know help global organisations, you know provide that reskilling opportunity for all you know our wider community, particularly during this challenging era. So you talk about workforce agility. Yes. And a lot. And, um, you know, I, I, so back to the, my, other, my previous question about these layoffs. I mean, I, I think there's good workforce agility, bad workforce agility probably. But then you also talk about kind of the, that when, when you do have an agile workforce, there's, a, you know, there's an increase or a lift in engagement, diversity, and retention, um, you know, around those things. So, you know, I, I think uh, my question is, I guess, have people been measuring those things independently, like engagement, diversity, and retention, and, and not calling it workforce agility? And maybe I should start with workforce agility and realize that if I if I have if that's my measure, workforce agility, mm -hmm. then I'm going to get those other things naturally. And what's the business value of those? So, yeah. would you mind diving into that? And if you have, you know, you don't need to. Share customer names, but you know organizational examples by industry of how we're seeing workforce agility truly paying off. I'd love to hear that. Yeah, so I think agility and resilience in your workforce is you know in hot demand right now because people are having to kind of be repurposed and pivoted and redeployed into different parts of the business. So having a workforce that is agile and and skill ready enough to you know to be redeployed into other 
areas of the business, you know, is, is something of incredible economic value. So one of our clients who I'm super proud of, um, first um, company to come up with a COVID-19 test, and they've been using two, two of our um, kind of um, product experiences. So one is Fuel Gigs, um, and that's a project marketplace. So just thinking about how, you know, they're having to pivot, you know, a lot of people onto this COVID-19 rapid response team. Um, you know, how do we quickly find match talent, you know, um, across the organization? So, you know, that, that's been something that we're super proud of. And, and the other thing is, is that behind the scenes in the last six months of last year in 2019, across that organization, admittedly, there's 110,000 people, but we saw 252,000 reskilling actions being taken across that workforce as they wow. were enabled and supported. So we know that you can do that rapid reskilling at scale, you know, you know, across big, you know, huge numbers of people if we give them the right motivation and tools and enablement to do that. Um, so you can have a workforce that's more ready and then, you know, that they're sufficiently agile to be able to be, um, to respond to these massively, changing um, business demands that were unexpected. So, you know, being able to quickly deploy, you know, come up with the first COVID-19 test is something, you know, that, that um, you know, should be super proud of. Got another bank in Ireland who, you know, were um, also, you know, looking at um, fuel gigs as being a support enablement as they were anticipating having to, you know, close down branches as they were expecting, you know, if anyone goes down with COVID-19 and then we have to redeploy people, you know, across the business into other roles. So I think there's a, a strong business case for agility. And I think what's in it for the employees, you know, so if you are more skilled, you're more skills ready, um, you're feeling good about your skills and capability, you feel more marketable and more valuable to the organization, organization um so your value increases so therefore you know your engagement goes up um and if projects can be resourced in a transparent way because what was happening jobs might have been reasonably transparent you know up on the job board internally and everyone can see and apply but projects have not been resourced transparently yeah. and so sometimes people you know being shoulder tapped for stretch assignments and everyone else around them saying well how did that person get that opportunity so we want you know, we want inclusivity into those project decisions so everyone's got a chance to put their hand up. And, you know, the business leaders or the line managers have got a chance to see who might be the best fit for that project, particularly as we're all global now, right? We're all working remotely, so anyone can put their hand up. But who is the best talent? Is there some hidden talent across the business that might be a wonderful resource for me in this project? And then, you know, the little feedback loop after the project, if I'm giving that person feedback and the manager gives feedback, you know, for the skills and contributions that that person's made, it becomes a kind of a virtuous gain spiral, you know, a success spiral for the employee and for the business and a learning loop. And, you know, therefore there's more workforce agility, there's more people um, ready, skilled and able to support me for, you know, um, what might be a rapidly changing business demand. So, so, Anne, when you think about the, the future of work, which we're calling the now of work, like you've talked about so many of the topics that, yeah. that, we, you know, that we talk about, whether it be diversity and inclusion, whether it be engagement, whether it be you know, the worker's experience, whether it be thinking about projects and gigs and things like that. Um, you know, and then like, we, we've been working as an industry with these things 
or this thing called talent management or these things called talent management products mm. for the last, what, 25 years? Yes. Like, what's different now? I mean, I, we've, we've, we've talked about everything that's different now from a, a life standpoint and a work standpoint, but now let's get back to Fuel 50. What's different about Fuel 50 than the way I've been doing talent management in the past? Yeah, and I, and I do think it is going to be radically different. And so, th you know, thankfully, I mean, I think we've been on a little bit of a trend curve, you know, for the last three or so years, but all of a sudden that trend curve has been, you know, rapidly um, accelerated. So um, I think the key change in talent management systems is that they were top down, they were compliance driven, you know, they were dictated by HR. And what we've done, you know, and what, what we think the future of um, talent enablement and talent optimization is, is um, that employees are completely enabled to be able to, um, you know, drive the utilization of their talent, to put that into the talent marketplace. Um, and that's going to drive, you know, a, a talent optimization across the organization so that we do have the right skill and capability where we need it, when we need it, and in an agile way. So I think, um, you know, uh, talent resourcing is, is um, going to look different in terms of the model and the more we can crowdsource that talent data from our people. How efficient is that? You know, you don't have to do a top-down succession planning, you know, 20 people in a room, closed doors, you know, put it onto an Excel sheet or, you know, into a system and then, you know, people have forgotten about it. You know, I think everything today is going to be faster, more tactical, you know, more immediate um, and at your fingertips when you want it, right? You know, it's not necessarily a process that happens once or twice a year. So, yeah. Um, you know, rapid response or fast response is what we're seeing into these talent systems. So you're a CHRO today, or you're talking to a CHRO. Yes. Uh, it, it, it's July 2020. Basically, everything that I said I was going to do in 2020, I probably has been turned upside down. I've been <laughs> refocused. I've had to change priorities. You know, lots of stuff changed. You know, Based on where the world is right this second, you know, what would your priorities be if you were a CHRO right now? And what would you tell CHROs? Um, yes, I think, you know, I think, I think that um, like everyone, everywhere, you know, it's like, what are my most immediate priorities? And I think, um, I, I think that um, talent utilization right now and the talent decisions I'm going to be making you know, are a top priority and have to be um, done in a way that is nothing less than, you know, beyond reproach. It has to be, um, our talent decisions right now have to be ethical and humane, um, inclusive um, and um, robust and defensible. So I, th I think talent intelligence and talent decision making right now is absolutely critical. Um, and then being able to make sure that you've got, um, you know, the critical talent where you need it and a talent supply, you know, to support that. So that talent intelligence across my, my organization, particularly if I'm crowdsourcing it for my people, you know, it's, it's gold dust for me. And all I need is the, the right kind of um, intelligence system to be, to be able to tap into to find that data so that I can rapidly deploy people into, into the um, um, most immediate priorities or in-demand um, 
um, areas of the business that do exist. Um, and if I am having to make, you know, a restructuring and retrenchment and re-engineering decisions that, again, I've got some really good data to support that. So, you know, I think one of the things that we are still, uh, we were anticipating, you know, as we came into 2020, and I think it's it's no less an imperative than it was, which is rapid reskilling of the workforce is still a burning imperative. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. It's not more important, right? It is. It's absolutely vital. And the more that you can enable that in a low touch, you know, kind of a way so that people are driving their own learning and development and, and that it's aligned with the business. So two-way transparency. Employees have got to know what the business needs and what are the skills in demand um, so that they can make sure that they're connecting to the right learning assets to make sure that they're um, going to be future-proofed and useful to the organization. It's got to be a two-way partnership. Kind of back where we talked about before in terms of that partnership team play yeah. model. No, yeah. completely agree. And I need to, I definitely want to you know, figure out how we get you back on to talk a little more about some of this stuff because, you know, we can dive deeper into these talent areas all day long. Um, you know, we've hardly, we've just scratched the surface on skills and capabilities and, you know, the competency word and how do we use that and mm. how does it scar us? How does it help us? Things like that. <laughs> we can go a lot deeper. <laughs> so. That could be fun. Uh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, let's not let's save that for another time. But so two things, two two closing th closing things. So uh, first of all, um, how do people get a hold of you and understand more about what you're doing and the Fuel Fifty story? Um, I assume they can go to your website, but you know, are you on LinkedIn? Do you talk to people on LinkedIn? I know it's a weird question, but what's the <laughs> best way for people to reach you? Yeah, I mean, I th obviously there's yeah a couple of ways, but yeah, definitely fuel50.com is the place to kind of find. We, we are incredibly serious about um, building a community of thought leadership around us, you know, where our clients are sharing their learnings and, and we're sharing, you know, research and um, content that's actually going to help um, talent leaders, you know, make these great decisions. So yeah, fuel50.com. And yeah, I'm, I'm personally a, a big fan of, um, you know, LinkedIn, you know, some of my favorite, favorite CHROs post every week, you know, what they're learning and what they're thinking about. And so that community on LinkedIn, that's Anne Fulton, that's pretty easy. Um, and, um, you know, that community on LinkedIn is also, um, yeah, act, very active. Yeah. Um, and I, I think I just, you know, in terms of um, our latest thinking, we just put out last week um, this uh, research paper on trending capabilities that we've been observing right through this, you know, pandemic era for the last six months. So, you know, that's definitely... Is that on your website also? I mean, it's great to have that yeah. on the website. And we'll, we'll yeah. put it in the show notes as well so that people yeah. can find that. Yeah, that would be awesome. It's a it's a really quick read, but it's a fascinating read, you know, about what is trend trending. You know, some things are unsurprising, you know, supply chain reimagining, you know. Yeah. Uh, remote remote work um, management um, capabilities. So, you know, some some of them are as you'd expect and some of them are quite thought provoking. Okay, good. And then my one of my favorite parts of all of these interviews is and you know, people say that one of their favorite parts as well is these things that get you out of bed in the morning. So, you know, people are always trying to learn and emulate from great leaders like yourself. Um, you know, what, what drives you? What's the thing that drives you that makes you say, wow, I, I wanna build Fuel 50 into X and, you know, 
<laughs> even though the mornings were like, oh, I'm so tired, you know, you're still going to get out of bed and, uh, you know, kick butt in driving forward. So what, what, would you, what would you say is the thing that drives you the most? Um, I, yeah, I, th I think I don't ever have any trouble getting out of bed in the morning. So <laughs> although 4, 6 p.m. in the afternoon, I might need a Red Bull. That's because you love your life and love what you do. But what, you know, what's yeah. that thing that drives that? So um, I think there's an unrelenting mission to allowing everyone to fully utilize their talent and potential. And, you know, that's been a driving force, you know, since, since back in those days when I was, you know, um, doing psychometric test after psychometric test and building the, building them, um, but now being able to upend that and, and allow people to be able to see what's the best use of their talent and the best talent fit and where they might take their skills and talents. I mean, that, that is an unrelenting passion for us. Um, um, you know, I think, I think I mentioned, you know, I've got this exceptional team of people that are sharing that mission, you know, whether it's, um, you know, the, the development team who, you know, really care about the end user experience that's being able to be connected to a mentor or an opportunity or a reskilling um, opportunity, you know, through to um, our change leader who's come out from a client with a PhD in change and transformation, but she was CLO, one of our clients, and, and she's on that mission to help that storytelling and organizations to take them on that transformation journey. Because I think we know that, um, you know, helping an organization re-engineer its um, talent experience is not an easy thing, right? So we've got to share the learning and, you know, share the stories and, and share the learnings from our um, clients. And so, yeah, it's very much a team play that, uh, yeah, that, that in terms of that journey that we're on. Um, and I guess, you know, when we're not done until everyone, um, you know, has an opportunity to, um you know, be at their best at work. You know, that, that is our vision is that everyone is given an opportunity to be their best self at work and to, to absolutely maximize that skill and talent that each, each and every person has. Uh, it's a pretty big, it's, it's not a small mission, but, uh, you know, we're, we're on a journey to in increase that reach. And we've got like a million users of the software today across, you know, 70 enterprise clients. So, you know, there's more and more people across the globe that, um, you know, are sharing that experience of being able to understand what their skills and talents are and how they're best, you know, how they can maximize that into the organizations that they're working for. Well, that's great. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, thank you. Thank you so much for being on. I'm a huge fan of your work. I'm a huge fan of your organization's work and, and, you know, hearing the mission tied to it and understanding, you know, the, you know, the goals of it, um, you know, make anyone even a bigger fan. I mean, you're really not in it for the, you know, the software, quote unquote, you're really in it to change the world of work. And I think that's, that's truly what's needed right now. Anything, anything you'd like to say in closing? I just think, you know, probably didn't really capture, you know, part of the Fuel 50 or the Fuely ethos, which is, you know, we want to be fast, fun and fabulous. So we do want to have fun along the way, right? We want laughter and we want people to, you know, be having fun at work. Um, fast game is a good game. I talk fast and, you know, we all want to execute fast, but we, it's also got to be an amazing experience that gets delivered. So, you know, amazing for every single person that we touch along the journey, um, you know, for us, this is super important. So... Yeah, no, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that with us because that's, uh, that, you know, that the fun is a, is a big, big part right now. And I think that, uh, you know, 
organizations that look at vendors and you know look at suppliers um, that's one of the things they need to to keep in mind is the human side of it which is one of the reasons i like doing these podcasts is because it, people really get to see the human side of the leaders of these organizations so they, i really really appreciate you taking the time to be uh to be on and um look forward to those further conversations absolute pleasure thank you jason and thank you so much 